Welcome to the Natural Health Rising podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Smith, Certified Functional Diagnostic Nutrition Practitioner. I'm here to deliver you weekly episodes where you will hear conversations with health experts and solo episodes about functional medicine and all things holistic health. My goal is to provide you with the knowledge and tools you need in order to help you rise to your healthiest, happiest self. Welcome to this episode of the Natural Health Rising podcast. And oh my gosh, I am really excited to share this episode. This is a very different episode. And that's because it is about kind of like a taboo topic. Not a lot of people talk about sex and porn addiction and sexual betrayal in relationships regarding things like having a porn addiction behind someone's back. And the reason that this episode is on this podcast is because this stuff affects someone's mental and emotional well-being and can then bleed into their physical well-being and start to manifest as a lot of different health symptoms as well if someone is going through this process of being betrayed in these kinds of ways. And I just think it's something that is really important to be talked about because like I said, some of these topics are taboo and I wanna bring these more difficult conversations to light. And that's why I decided to have Kyleen Turhune on the podcast today because she is also an FDN, which is one of the certifications I have. And so she knows all about the functional realm and the holistic health realm, but then she went through her own experience with sexual sexual betrayal and wound up creating a practice around this specifically. And I just think it is very needed because you'll hear in the podcast, we'll talk about how prevalent this actually is, how prevalent porn addiction and sexual betrayal really is. And we go through lots of different misconceptions, how people are finding out about this, what are the steps that a couple would take on either of their ends of the process of healing. And we do talk again about some of the the long-term side effects and health effects from this stuff too, and what you can do to start to heal your body, start to heal your relationship again with that person and so much more. So I am really excited for you to listen to this episode. And just before we jump in, I am going to read a review from the podcast and I'm going to read a client review as well. And so this review is from Fresh and Fit Nutrition. I'm starting kind of back from far ago and I'm moving forward. So this is a year ago. So thank you to Fresh and Fit Nutrition for writing this. They said, great podcast with great information in an easy to understand way. I loved the SIBO episode because it was so informative and the tips given were easy to implement. That was an episode I really loved as well. The SIBO one, we talked a lot about nervous system regulation. That was uh, quite a while back at the beginning of the podcast. So you guys can go back and listen to that. And if you would like to support the podcast in any way, all you have to do, it takes literally one minute, maybe even less to go ahead and 
give the podcast a rating and write a quick sentence if it calls to you about what you're enjoying about the podcast. And that way it can really help spread this information to more people as it helps boost the podcast on the charts. And I want to really quickly also read a client testimonial from Tawny Adamson. And Tawny said, do yourself and your health a favor and work with Rachel ASAP. I had come to accept my long list of symptoms as related to having ulcerative colitis, fatigue, brain fog, hair loss, stubborn belly fat, insomnia, migraines, acid reflux, heart palpitations, depression, anxiety, etc. Having been told there is nothing else I can do about it by multiple physicians and tried all of the medications they had suggested, I had lost hope and whatever lost hope that I would ever feel better and I would continue to feel worse. I'm so blessed to have found Rachel and schedule my free consult with her. She worked with me over a period of six months. We would meet every two times per month to discuss the results of lab testing and make a plan of how to address my results. She set me up with an eating plan to help reduce my inflammation in my body. And with each meeting, Rachel would teach me new ways to address my stress and anxiety plus other strategies to manage my health. We would set realistic goals together that were geared specifically to my progress. Many symptoms began to improve immediately and over time fade completely. As a bonus, I lost 20 pounds within the first one to two months. This is the absolute best investment I have made in my health and have recommended Rachel to many friends and family. If you are reading this, this is your sign to schedule your consult. Thank you so much, Tani, for writing that wonderful testimonial. I really appreciate that. And I'm just sharing these to also give you guys some more insight on the power of functional medicine and holistic health so that you too can understand that there is hope out there for you. And of course, if you ever do want to chat about what that would look like for yourself to work together, you can always reach out to me. Okay, I don't want to wait any longer for you to get into this incredible episode with myself and Kyleen, so enjoy. So on this episode of the Natural Health Rising podcast, I have Kyleen Turhune with me, and Kyleen is the CEO and founder of the Phoenix Transformation Project, where she works as a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, master NLP life coach, and master QTT practitioner supporting women who have experienced sexual betrayal trauma in their physical, mental, and emotional recovery after discovering their husband is a porn or sex addict. Welcome to the show, Kyleen. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm super stoked to talk to you today because this is a little bit, maybe even of like a taboo topic, um, Mm -hmm. very different I remember when I first found out that you did this, I thought, wow, that's so cool. (laughs) and so niche. Like I've literally never heard of this before. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So really excited to talk about this because it's obviously if you're doing this for your career now, it is a a big thing and yeah. um, yeah. And much bigger than at least I'm aware of. And I'd love to actually hear how big is this? Like, unfortunately it's much bigger than any of us would anticipate. Um, So pornography and sex addiction is exactly what you said. It's very taboo. It's very shame filled. It's very secret. Um, And especially 
in the Christian community, it's something that like the churches have not handled well. So it's very much like, don't talk about it, right? It's really rooted deeply in shame and embarrassment. And um, so it's just shocking when it happens to you to realize that it's happening to at least one other person that you know, because it's about 50% of men in the church are struggling with some level or some variation of it, whether it's that they are um, you know, we would call it unwanted sexual behavior, right? And there's a spectrum of that. So whether they're looking at pornography randomly once a month and they don't like that and they don't want to be doing that, or if they are doing it all the time and they're acting out and they're masturbating, or if they're having affairs or, you know, whatever it is, um, there's just a lot when it comes to the reality and the spectrum of this type of behavior. Um, and it's, it's, a really high percentage of of men in the church, particularly, and even shocking when you look into statistics and you look at um, how many pastors are engaging in unwanted sexual behavior, and they're not talking about it from the pulpit. There are no, uh, there's no groups for healing um, in the church itself. There's only about seven percent of churches that will say that they have healing support for this problem in the church. And yet it is probably one of the number one things that they shame people for in the church. So it's really messed up. Um, This is one of the reasons that, like you said, I'm like the only person that you have had in your orbit talking about it, right? And that's one of the reasons that I ended up going public with my story was because as we went through this, I was like, this is ridiculous. This is happening everywhere. It's happening all the time. It's a struggle that a lot of people have, which means if, if if the percentage of men struggling with that. And and I shouldn't say just men because it does happen with women as well in terms of addiction. Um, But if if the percentage of men struggling with that is that high, then there's probably just as many women that are married or betrayed and, you know, struggling and, and partners that are hurting. And so there's not a lot of support out there for them. And one of the things that we looked for was couples, like, have they survived? is it possible to actually do the recovery and have a happy life and have a happy marriage and like each other (laughs) Mm -hmm. and have it be worth it, right? Like, is that possible? And we just did not see enough people talking about it. And it's not that they don't exist. It's just that this is so uncomfortable, so shame-filled. And um, people, you know, you get to a a specific place in your healing and you're like, man, I'd really like to crawl back into a hole and live my life and have nobody know that this happened to me. And I get that. I 100% get that. And we just decided that we would be one of those people that, kind of shouted it from the rooftops, <laughs> so. which, which is so good, which is like good for you because it, as you just said, it's so many people are experiencing it, but, and it's so shame filled. So therefore other people, if they don't hear other people talking about it, it's like, then they take on that guilt and shame and, mm-hmm. um, a lot of emotional stress, I'm sure in their life dealing with that. Yeah. But how does, how does this first off, like become discovered, I guess, if, if Mm. let's say 50% of people are having it, having this happen, is the woman, do they usually know about it? At what point do they discover it? Take me through that portion or maybe even your experience with that. Sure. And and I can speak a little bit to both because it's going to be different for everyone. So there are situations where uh, the addicted spouse will come and actually confess um, and there are other situations where they are actually discovered. And, and that's going to vary, obviously, depending on the type of behavior, the type of communication they have in a relationship um, and that sort of thing. Very, very often, um, the partner that is betrayed ends up experiencing trauma because 
they really, truly did not know that this was happening. This was a secret in the relationship. There were no red flags. They were totally blindsided. Um, and it is an addiction and a behavior that is uh, very easily hidden in most circumstances until it gets completely out of control. So it's what you would consider in, in other terminology to be a really high functioning addict, right? They're able to go to work. They're able to function. They're able to communicate with you. You don't smell it. You don't see it. Um, and in my case, which is more unusual, I think, than not, uh, money was involved, but a lot of times money isn't involved. So there's not a lot of these trails, right? Like you're not smelling the alcohol in their breath. You're not seeing that money is being spent that you don't know about all this kind of stuff. Now, in my case, that that was not true. There was a lot of money being spent. I wasn't in the bank accounts though. So I didn't see that. And it had been going on for years. So the way I found out was actually suggesting that we do some budgeting imagine that. So we sat down and um, he had printed out this list of things, um, all of our expenses. And I, I was just thinking, hey, that's really nice. Like, I don't have to go into the accounts. He's written everything down. He's organized it into little um, a little chart. You know, that just makes it easier. That's great. And we started doing the glorious task of canceling all of our recurring memberships, which was just so much fun, right? And you're excited. You're like, yay, I'm saving money and we don't need this thing. And, and then we got to one uh, that was an app that I knew about. It was like a fitness app. And we weren't using it. I was trying to figure out how to cancel it. You know, it, there's so many different ways to like purchase these things, right? Like online or um, through the app store. And I couldn't figure out like why I couldn't cancel this particular recurring charge. And so I asked for his phone and I thought, well, maybe it is in the recurring um, like app subscription thing. So I went into his phone in order to find this. And it was down in the um, app subscriptions, if you scroll down very, there at the bottom were some previous apps that he had purchased and deleted or expired or whatever, that I was like, whoa, what are those? They looked really inappropriate. And so that started the conversation. And then we had kind of a weird combination of me discovering, but then also him confessing. Um, he He got into the confession, like within about 24 hours or something. And then it just really all came out. And then it was a combination of him telling me things and me searching and me looking at the bank accounts and me looking in his emails and just putting all the pieces together over time. Wow. Um, what, and what did you do? Like, what was the first step after discovering that stuff for you guys? Well, that was, I mean, it was extreme shock for me. We had, um, we had what I consider to be a very, very, wonderful relationship. Um, I was deeply in love. Um, we were almost, we were about nine and a half years because we were in into this relationship. We were coming up on our eight year anniversary. So I really felt like I knew him. Right. And um, really felt very happy with, with what we had. So I was absolutely shocked. And so over the first couple of days and couple of weeks, what I figured out basically was that he was a cyber sex addict, which meant he was engaging with live women um, and paying money and there was money exchange and things like that. And so that was just really, I mean, just awful. It's just like the worst thing to discover that your husband is sexually acting out with other human beings. It's horrible. And so I thankfully had a friend who had, uh, trusted me with her story and had shared that her husband had engaged in some, um, sexual behaviors and addictions. And, so I called her right away, like as soon as this information started calling uh, coming out. So at the time that I initially spoke to her, I did not have all the information and I did not know that it was an addiction. Like the very first phone call, I think I was under the impression that um, 
he had thought about cheating on me. <laughs> I, that was his, when, when all this came out and we were having these conversations and I was really digging for like, what are these apps and how are they advertised and what did you think they were? And his, um, his lie, the best thing he could come up with in the moment was that they, he, they were dating apps and he had, he had downloaded them, but not messaged anybody. And so, yeah, right. I know it's a horrible lie. It's a horrible <laughs> lie. It's still really, really bad. Right. Yeah. So, but in, in his mind, right. He's trying to not really tell me everything. And, um, so that was enough for me to be like, Whoa, you thought about cheating on me. And I was just totally thrown. Right. Um, so I had, I talked to her and, and very shortly, like I said, the truth actually started coming out and, um, she was able to point me in the direction of the trauma therapy. And, um, there was actually, um, and I'm so thankful for this. Um, she pointed us in the direction of the support group that he got into. He was in a support group. I found out on like a Saturday, Sunday, he was in a support group the next Thursday, I believe. So within less than a week, he got connected to that. And then he got into, uh, addiction, sex addiction therapy within the week after that, so the first two weeks. So, mm-hmm. um, that was really step number one for him was getting into those, creating the community, getting the help, starting to deal with the trauma, figuring out why the heck he was engaged in that behavior. Now, thankfully for me, and this isn't the case with everyone, thankfully for me, he had tried many times to stop the behavior on his own and he hated it. He hated what was happening. And he was really kind of convinced that had it kept going without help, he may have continued down the road to um, end his life. He was that upset Mm -hmm. and um, horrified. He just, he didn't like it. And it was just something that was so compulsive at the point that he felt like he couldn't stop. And so for me, um, I was able to go back and see there was like evidence that he had tried on several occasions to stop himself. So he was thrilled when he found out what he could actually do, what what steps he could implement to actually recover. And he took it incredibly seriously. We basically dropped everything and focused on recovery together. And mm-hmm. for me, I was trying to figure out what the heck just happened with my life because I thought I was married to one person. And then I realized essentially he's living two lives, right? This persona that I thought was like this man of character and integrity and truthfulness and it's actually somebody that was hiding this big secret and lying and manipulating and and all this kind of stuff. So that was that was tough. It took me a little while to get into support for myself because um, I was kind of like, hey, man, fuck you. This is your problem. <laughs> but pretty soon I realized that, uh, no, actually, this dramatically impacts me and um, I'm going to need to heal whether it's with or without him. Mm-hmm. So for from the man's perspective, or at least um, the person's, the person who's dealing with the addiction, the first mm-hmm. step that they should take is some sort of therapy, but is there, there's so many different kinds of therapy out there. Is there like right. a specific type that is the best for that? Like a, a CSAT a... therapy is the best okay. it's certified sex addiction therapy. And the, what this ends up doing now, I, as I've gone through recovery and we've both gone through all these different modalities and I've continued my own certifications and my own healing, um, you know, I'm going to have a very particular view of what is, you know, the quote unquote best. So that's what I'm going to share. Um, and just be aware that, you know, other people have different paths and that's okay too. But mm-hmm. what I consider like gold standard, absolute best is if you can find a CSAT therapist that also has a trauma modality like EMDR or brain spotting or some yes. sort of trauma processing modality, because the addiction is always coming from unhealed wounds and traumas and, and beliefs about themselves that, you know, I'm not worthy. I'm unlovable. They're looking for something that is good 
and and necessary and needed, like this desire to be loved, right? In an avenue that is very unhealthy. And so what you want to do is actually deal with the beliefs, deal with the trauma, deal with the emotions. And so making sure that the trauma therapist that you're working with isn't just talk, but they actually have different modalities to assist with the trauma processing. I find that to be very important. And then additionally, finding a support group that specifically focuses on sex addiction. Now, um, again, what I consider gold standard is groups that are going to really focus on healing. And they're also not going to focus on labeling you as an addict for the rest of your life. So that's I know SA has helped a ton of people and I know it's amazing. And I don't love that it's the whole, hi, my name is, I am an addict because then you're choosing mm. this identity, you're embodying this identity. And when you tell your subconscious, I am over and over and over, you live into that. And what do addicts do? They relapse and they struggle and they white knuckle it and they have a hard time, right? So I prefer where you get into support groups that really focus on, you know, identity change and true recovery and this belief that I don't actually have to suffer with this. This is something that I truly can put in my past. Not that I stop doing the things that get me into recovery. Like this is a lifelong commitment, but that I don't believe that's who I am anymore. That's somebody in my past. That's something that I did. And I am now somebody that is in recovery and, and I'm a different person. That is such a good point. I'm so glad you brought that up because- yeah, that's you're kind of manifesting whatever we're saying to ourselves every single day, right? It's it's just like the same. And I'm sure you've done this with your health clients as well. It's like if you have a client who's constantly telling themselves, I'm I'm sick and I'm unwell, or I have this disease and I'm identifying with this disease, well, mm -hmm. it definitely creates a blockage at a certain point. There's gonna be a place where it's like the healing needs you need to release that in order to get to full healing of whatever the health issue is. Yes. And so same thing for being an addict or, or struggling with other pieces of identity. So I love that you said that. And I would also like to second the EMDR part. I know, just like you said, it's like people are going to find their own tools that work best for them and everyone should explore different things that will work. But um, EMDR is actually going to rewire the... Mm -hmm thoughts and the process mm -hmm. that's going on in the head versus just sitting there and talking about it. So if you guys don't know what EMDR is, do a little Google search. <laughs> um, very, very helpful. I've used it in my life personally, and it's been mm -hmm. life-changing. Yeah, I, I did too. Patrick used it. He, he used EMDR and brain spotting. I use EMDR. And then um, the the tools that I use with my clients, like the QTT and the subconscious reprogramming and stuff like that, is very yes. similar to EMDR. And so um, I find that to be absolutely invaluable. And, and like, like you were mentioning, there's different um, different ways to do it, right? Like QTT, subconscious reprogramming brings about different variations of the same idea, but mm -hmm. finding something that allows you to do that brain rewiring and that processing so that you can actually take like a belief that says I am unworthy and replace it with another belief that says, no, I'm, I'm a valuable human being that now lives into this identity. Yeah. Yeah. Last year. I got into, I had a coach for probably like half the year and every once in a while I'll still use him, but he does hypnotherapy and NLP and oh my God. And I did that before EMDR. And so I've, I've done all the modalities mm -hmm. to just like try everything out. And that was incredible. I loved it so yeah. much. So yeah. actually let's talk about that. What is NLP and what is QTT and kind of explain how those tools are effective for your clients in their yeah, recovery so journey. Yeah. So um, NLP is neuro-linguistic programming. So I'm a master NLP coach. 
And, you know, that that has a lot to do with the language that we use, the way we think, the way our brain processes information, um, rewiring and reframing different um, beliefs and things like that. QTT is called quantum time therapy or quantum time technique. And um, this is essentially what, what I would say is like parallel or similar to brain spotting and EMDR in how it works. But there's a couple of things I really like about it. One is that instead of starting in the traumatic moment, we are starting with like a belief or a part or a feeling or a sensation. And um, so that could be anger, that could be sadness, that could be the belief that I am unworthy, right? Then we ask your brain to take us to the original event. And so that could be when you were like three years old, right? Like I, I give this mm -hmm. analogy all the time. Like if you're three years old and your mom is leaving the house and you're going, mommy, don't leave me. And in your nervous system in that moment, that is the establishment of the sensation of abandonment. You can act, even though as an adult, you go, yeah, she just had to go to the grocery store, right? My dad was right there, right? <laughs> right. Whatever, right? But um, consciously, we know that as an adult, but doesn't matter. Our nervous system like imprinted that, that feeling. And so then as we go through life, we notice anything else that in our nervous system or in our brain feels that way. We have those same sensations, those same fears, those same insecurities, whatever it is, those body reactions that then gets grouped into and lumped into the bucket of abandonment. And so when mm -hmm. we do things like QTT, we go back to like when that was created in the body. And then we're able to process that. And the other thing that I really like about it is that we pull, and this, this is something I find to be unique with this particular uh, modality, is that we actually pull beneficial learnings from it. And so it's like when you're looking from a high perspective at that experience when you were three years old, you're going to pull things like it wasn't my fault. I am loved. I do have support, right? All these beneficial things that we know are actually true. And we want to take those beliefs with us, not the belief that everybody's going to leave me, right? And mm -hmm. so we pull in that experience, we are able to pull all the beneficial learnings, apply them to the timeline and the events that happened between three and now, and then leave with that new identity or that new belief that we chose to replace it with. So that's like what we do before we even go into the exercises, we get really, really clear on what it is that you subconsciously believe. And that could be like everyone that I love abandons me. And that means that I'm unworthy, right? It could be very specific like that. And then yeah. we, we decide very clearly what we want to replace it with something like I am somebody that is um, worthy of love. Um, and, and I'm valuable just the way I am. Right. It, and we make it very specific for that person, their fears, their insecurities, their beliefs, and what they want. And so then we apply all the positive learnings to that timeline and we choose the new identity moving forward. And then sometimes what I'll do is I will give people some tasking to kind of integrate during the week. So, um, you know, when we are doing things where we're rewiring beliefs in the brain and we're changing those patterns that may sometimes take practice. But what I love about these exercises is that one of the most common comments I get afterwards is, oh my gosh, um, I just feel lighter. Like, I feel like I can breathe, right? It's mm -hmm. such a weight lifted off. Right. Mm -hmm. And the process of this is really, I feel really supportive to the nervous system. When you're thinking, when you're getting your body into that state of the positive learnings and you're feeling that somatically, it's actually it, most of the trauma processing, um, a, a big chunk of the time that we're in it is actually a really positive experience. So that's one of the things I really like about it. Mm hmm. Yeah, it is. I've, I've used that as well. And it's a really cool experience to go through. So I love that you use both of those. Um, what if when someone first discovers, uh, let's say from the woman's perspective, or at least the person who's, I guess, being betrayed, mm -hmm. what are the long-term effects on mm -hmm. them? 
Yeah, that is a really tough one because about 70% of women or betrayed partners that go through discovery and go through this process uh, end up with PTSD symptoms. Mm. So, you know, and that that's a hard thing to swallow. A lot of the terminology is very hard to swallow, like addiction and betrayal and manipulation and um, abuse, right? Like, like this type of behavior is sexual abuse in the relationship. In my situation, there was financial abuse, right? Using words like that seem very harsh when the person that you're talking about never quote unquote intentionally hurt you, right? But I feel like it's very important to use the right terminology so that you understand the gravity of the situation and take it very seriously in how you actually deal with it. And so I will hear so many stories of women that learn this information and just basically leave it up to their spouse to you know, fix it or deal with it or whatever. They don't ask questions. They don't get all the information. And that really worries me. It concerns me because in my mind, you don't, if you don't have the information, number one, you don't know who you're married to. And number two, you don't have enough information to give consent because what is consent? Consent is having the information to say, yes, I'm willing to give you my body and my trust and my life and my vulnerability and and all this kind of stuff. And you have to have the information in order to do that. And so it, re- it really worries me when women aren't willing to go down that route. And I understand why, because it's scary. Um, but I think it's also because they're trying to avoid this reality that when you do go down this path, it is very traumatizing. And a lot of times what happens is um, we end up with a lot of physical symptoms because I'm sure as you talk on the podcast a lot about how, you know, stress impacts the body and um, impacts your hormones and impacts your digestive health and impacts your cell health and your brain health and all of this. We see all of that in the betrayal community. We see anxiety, depression, um, extreme amounts of trauma, hypervigilance. Um, we see, you know, I had chest pains, um, you know, I had all of these different things, extremely painful periods that had come back, you know, they were totally uh, regulated and normal. And I had done so much work to support my hormones and my body and my health. And then this hit and I was like in the ER twice for for period pain, like in that first oh year of discovery. It, it was just, you know, all of that. It just dysregulates your whole system because anytime you don't feel safe, your body goes crazy until you can establish safety. And so that's like the number one thing when you are going through this is how can I create safety? And best case scenario, your partner is participating in that process and doing the recovery work, respecting your boundaries, communicating, and um, really helping you and assisting you in creating that safety. But that is absolutely crucial because if your body and your nervous system isn't feeling safe, then the trauma continues, the um, nutrients get depleted, and you end up with all these imbalances and physical symptoms down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I definitely can look back at places in my life where I've had my autoimmune symptoms flare up um, mm-hmm. and looking at it as really hard times that we all go through uh, in life. And so it makes total sense that someone's health can go totally downhill. So so sorry to hear about the all the crazy stuff that you went through again and kind of having those those personal flare-ups. Do you with your clients then integrate kind of the FDN piece and also use some of the lab testing and you're working on nutrition and all the other health pieces alongside this mental emotional piece and healing the the betrayal alongside that? 
Yes. So kind of depends on how much somebody really wants me to get involved in that. But every client that does my six month package does get a neurotransmitter panel. So we're at minimum, we're looking at the brain chemicals because pretty much everybody's going to come in with fatigue, anxiety, or depression, right? So we're at least mm -hmm. looking at the brain chemicals so we can support those with amino acids and, um, you know, support better sleep, support calm anxiety, avoiding panic attacks. I had a, um, I had a client the other day take one of the supplements and go, Kylene, has anybody told you? I think it was, is it Xanax that's like really calming? Is that what it, she said? Um, like that. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, have you ever had anybody tell you that this is better than Xanax? I was like, yeah, actually it's called nature's Valium. She's like, this is amazing. And she was telling me on our last call that she hasn't had a panic attack in, I don't know what it was, 10 days, two weeks, something like that. And that was huge. Mm -hmm. And um, so she's just feeling so much, you know, support from this. And so they really, the, the natural approach and the supplements and things can really be incredibly helpful. So I do like to do that. You know, it depends on who comes in with, um, with what and what they're looking for. So sometimes someone may have a functional medicine practitioner they're already working with and not really want me to jump into that. I've had other clients that, um, are like, yeah, let's also run the stool testing. Right. So we, we know that we have this gut brain connection and, and, um, sometimes people will have the bloating or the constipation or, you know, whatever, in addition to the anxiety and, and things that they're experiencing. So if they are open to me running labs and doing all of that, I love it. Awesome. Let's do it. Um, cause I feel like whenever we can do a multi-prong approach, we're going to have the most success uh, more quickly. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but the other piece to that, that I really have begun to believe is that the emotional weight and the trauma, I really believe that that weighs more than any um, food sensitivity or, you know, supplement and things like that over time. And so when we are willing to do the really deep emotional work, I think it takes so much weight off of the body and just allows it to have that space to heal in a way that if we only focused on the physical, we wouldn't be able to see that type of progress. What kind of supplements are you using? Are they just something you randomly found online or at a local store? Most people don't realize that the supplements they're taking are not high quality and contain fillers and ingredients that may be harmful. This is why I use full script supplements with my clients, knowing that they are getting high quality professional grade supplements for their specific needs. The decision on what supplements to take is based on individual needs which should really be looked at by your integrative, holistic, or functional medicine health provider. You can actually make a full script account through the link in the show notes to gain access to these high quality supplements at a 15% off discount. Remember, it's always important to talk to your healthcare provider before starting any supplements. If you feel confused on what to take and you're someone who has what I call a graveyard of supplements in their cabinet, you can find a link in the show notes to book a consultation with me if you're ready to hire a functional medicine practitioner to help you optimize your nutrition, lifestyle, and supplements based upon your unique biochemistry and personal needs. Right, definitely. And you mentioned that getting back to feeling safe is really important as a part of this process. So what does it look like to establish safety within themselves and within the relationship uh, during mm -hmm. the process. So when you have been betrayed, you kind of begin to question everything, including yourself. And so women really lose trust in their partner. They lose trust in the sense of reality because obviously they were living in one way and, and discovered it was different. And they a lot of times lose 
sense of trust in themselves, because how could I not see this happening? What did I do in my life that, um, you know, maybe quote unquote attracted this nothing. Let me just pause right now and say, none of this is your fault. If you're somebody that falls into this category, there's nothing you could have said or done. You couldn't be pretty enough. You couldn't have had enough sex. This is not your fault. Okay. Pause, move on beyond that thought there, (laughs) because we will all have that question. Um, and it's not Mm -hmm. about your body. It's not about your behavior. It's not about your relationship. It's about their unhealed wounds. So, um, I totally got myself off track there with my like ADHD, um, tangent. So establishing, (laughs) I'll remind you establishing safety, safety, but that was a really good point. You needed to say that. So, (laughs) yeah. So, yeah. So safety then comes where we feel safe in our environment. So again, the, the best case scenario is where your spouse is participating in the process. And that's going to look like, you know, do you guys need to sleep apart for a period of time? Do you have specific boundaries in the relationship or even in communication that needs to come up, right? Like you need to know that he's going to therapy. You need to know that he's going to group. You need to check in and see like, how are you doing, um, you know, with X, Y, Z, once you kind of know his story and, and, and that sort of thing. We had a lot of different things that we had to put up in place. Like I had to take control of the finances for a period of time. Like he didn't have access to cash or a debit card. He had to track any cash that he used, like that we had in a drawer. Um, we put, you know, blockers up on the phone. It, there was just so many different things that we had to do because in the first couple months I was like jumping into let's help you, let's get you sober. Right. And also during that time, I had extreme emotions of, well, I'm really sad right now. And this is your fault. You need to comfort me. But also I kind of hate you because you're the one that's making me feel this way. And I don't want you to be around me. Right. So very, very confusing. So establishing safety as a couple is really being able to communicate very clearly what you're feeling and why and what you need because of that. And then having the other partner be able to respond, right? And so the partner that has done the betraying and and is involved in the addiction is really gonna have to learn how to express empathy and compassion and how to respect boundaries, if there's physical boundaries, if there's communication boundaries, whatever it is, and really take responsibility and say, I realize that I've done this and I've really destroyed your trust. I've destroyed your life. I've blown up your world. And and really admit that they have contributed to that. And that alone, if they can avoid blaming, if they can avoid, you know, shifting and making excuses and take in, but instead can take responsibility and empathize, that's going to help a lot. And then there's creating safety in your own body. So that's, you know, doing like um, breathing exercise, parasympathetic exercises, somatic work with your nervous system, that sort of thing, doing things like the neurotransmitter test or the supplements to help with your anxiety, um, making sure that the space you're creating in your home does feel safe. And then creating whatever boundaries it is that you need to feel safe in the relationship. And I know a lot of betrayed partners struggle with setting boundaries. And so that's something you know I talk about a lot because that is going to be very important if you choose to, to reconcile, but also in your own life moving forward, whether you're with this person or not, it's going to be really important for you to learn how to use your voice and stand up for yourself and create those boundaries in your life. Mm-hmm. Can you maybe just give an example of a boundary that you had set that helped you feel safe? So this might not be the best example, but it is the strongest boundary that I set. (laughs) Um, My boundary, and this is not, this is not what everybody would do. And so this may be extreme for some people, but for me, I was very, very clear from the beginning that if you relapse, we will be done. 
-hmm. And I had to do a lot of work um, on my own healing journey to get to the place where I fully and completely meant that and felt safe doing that. Because, you know, saying that is really scary, but you ha- any boundary you set, you have to be willing to follow through on the consequence. Otherwise, you're just throwing a random wish out there. If it's, you know, but a boundary is really about what you need in your life. It's not about controlling the other person. So he had every ability to say, well, I don't, I don't think I can do that or I don't want to do that, right? Um, but in my world, I was not willing to live in a relationship where I constantly got hurt by this behavior. Once I found out and once he had the tools and resources that he needed to recover and after the 90 days of sobriety, I viewed that very much as your choice. That is a conscious choice if you choose to do that and you are consciously choosing to go against me in this relationship at that point. And so I'm not gonna tolerate that. So that's the way I viewed it. And again, not everybody does view it that exact same way. Um, but for me, that that is a very, very strong boundary that I set. I also had um, I had him sleep down in the basement for about six months. Um, I also didn't say I love you for about six months. Um, there were just a lot of shifts in the relationship and he respected all of those changes. He never pushed. There were a lot of physical boundaries, a lot of physical boundaries. Um, you know, I, I didn't, um, get dressed in front of him for a really long time or anything like that. There was just a ton of different stuff there. So there's big boundaries, there's little boundaries, there's everything in between and being able to communicate those clearly, um, and have that other person respect them does really help in developing that trust and that safety over time. Mm-hmm. You also just mentioned nervous system work a little bit. Can you share maybe one or two of your favorite ways that you use personally or with clients mm-hmm. and have them to regulate the nervous system? Yeah, I will actually tell you my number one favorite is chest tapping. So directly on your um, on your chest with the tips mm-hmm. of your fingers. And I do it all the time, partially because I'm teaching people. I repeat it constantly when I'm not stressed. And I actually recommend that people do that because it really anchors it into your system. But what this is doing um, right there on the chest is activating the parasympathetic and activating the vagus nerve. And um, like I said, this was so anchored into my body that there was a a specific instance where it pulled me out of a panic attack in about a minute and a half. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it can be really powerful. Um, If it's not that anchored in for you, it might not be that quick but you could certainly pair uh, chest tapping with um, box breathing or deep breathing where you're controlling the inhalation and the exhalation of your breath, because then you're going to have a really good combination of tapping into the parasympathetic while also lowering your heart rate. Um, so both of those can be really, really uh, effective, particularly if you're getting super triggered and anxious and maybe even heading into or already in a panic attack, being able to calm the body back down with those tools can be incredibly helpful. I'm I'm glad you brought that up and that's your favorite. I I teach clients um tapping EFT in general like the full whole spectrum of that, but then also like a chest thumping or tapping as well as um a very shorthand quick way to induce that and it's also my like go-to in public because yeah. you know it looks like a little odd like why is that person tapping like okay, it looks like I have a little tick. <laughs> Um, but yeah, if I am feeling some social anxiety for some reason, I definitely don't get a lot of that stuff as I used to in my past, but Hey, sometimes something spikes up or you get irritated or, um, you know, I was on a plane recently, a couple months back going to Costa Rica and we had the worst turbulence I had ever had on a plane. Mm. And I immediately 
deep breathing and tapping. I, I was also doing some tapping on my face and then tapping on my chest. And I was like, I don't care if anybody around me is looking at me right now because this is what I need to do. And this is making me feel good. And, and they and can getting learn rid of from my- you. They they might be feeling anxious and, and start mimicking you, right? Like, what is she doing to calm down? This looks great. <laughs> well, you know what the funny thing is that the guy sitting next to me, I'm like, he probably thinks I'm crazy right now. And so I didn't, but again, I don't care. We yeah. wind up getting into a conversation later and he is a chiropractor in Arizona who also is like specializes in nervous system work. Oh my <laughs> he, gosh, that's he perfect. Brought with him all of these cool tools that stimulate the vagus nerve. And they were up in the in the in his luggage. He's like, You want to check out this cool new tool I have? And he like pulls it down and it was so funny. So that's amazing. Um, he, he actually knew exactly what Cosmic. I was doing. Yeah. But that's I love awesome. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. So that's cool that people can listening can try out that, that simple tool and see how that affects them. Um, now what about the process of like engaging intimacy again? Cause I just heard you say, you know, you didn't even undress in front of your partner for six months, which is like, mm-hmm. I honestly can understand that. Like just thinking of putting myself in that position mentally, I'm like, yeah, I would probably do the exact same thing. So how did you guys get back to intimacy after all of that? That is a really long-term ongoing process. that's going to be different for everybody. Mm-hmm. But if you want to shorthand it, there are a lot of baby steps. And some for some partners, that's not as difficult. You know, I had some complex trauma that led into this that got really uh, exploded through this. And it was, it's, it, it, that is a topic that is very difficult for me, which is really, really hard for other people. It's not. Um, so some people will jump right back in quickly. Um, other people won't. And there's just a, so many reasons why, but when it is hard, it's really a baby step thing. And that's where the boundaries come in and the communication has to be so, so clear. And, mm-hmm. um, there's a book that, um, the therapists would recommend and they have this thing called pies. Um, I think it's personal intimacy experiences or whatever. And the whole idea is baby stepping into emotional intimacy and connection and physical connection and all this kind of stuff. I freaking hated that book. I was like, don't tell me to do this. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I was like, I wanted to throw it across the room. I freaking hated it so much. So what we ended up doing was I created my own versions of that. What do I feel is the next step? Right. And like, what do I feel like is the next doable thing that is scary, but I want to do. Uh, And so I would literally do, I would say, hey, like, um, I'm going to sit on the bed and you're going to sit across from me and I'm going to take my shirt off with my bra on. And I'm going to do one time where your eyes are closed and I'm just sitting here getting comfortable with that feeling. And then I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to know that you're looking at me and I'm going to get comfortable with that feeling. And then we're going to do it again. This is all in the same thing, like, you know, same 10 minutes or whatever. Then I'm going to open my eyes and I'm going to look at you looking at me. And so that was a bunch of baby steps like that, you know, and continuing that process and and me deciding what those steps look like mm-hmm. and kind of walking through. And, and I mean, just in a broad spectrum, someone may be listening to this and going like, that's crazy. Like I like, I'm totally able to have sex. This is what I would caution you about. 
Don't be having sex if you think that it's going to prevent relapse for them. And don't be having sex to make yourself feel like they love you. Have sex because it is an emotional connection that you guys are building trust together. And that is an expression of that. That's not coerced. It's not forced. It's not manipulated. It's nothing uncomfortable. You know, like don't be pressured into that. Generally, a, a recommendation for the couple is that they avoid it for 90 days. And there's a lot of reasons for that with the addict to reset the brain chemicals, to disconnect mm-hmm. um, from the physicality of it, all this kind of stuff. But feel free to go much longer than that if that works or to do the baby steps or whatever. But, you know, just making sure that, you know, as you guys are moving in that direction, however long that may take, that you're starting with a foundation of friendship and trust and emotional connection and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that like first those intimacy steps. Cause, um, that's so important for people to hear that they can choose something like very small like that and really start to ask themselves, like, what does feel good? Just like you said, if a therapist or someone says like, yeah, read this book and do this thing, you don't have to go all in yeah. at first, like really ask yeah. yourself, like, does this feel good to me? Or right. if it doesn't, what, what is a smaller way that I can chunk this down? Well, and I think too, that people always go, well, it's either sex or no sex, right? Like intercourse or no intercourse. And it's like, oh my gosh, there's so many different things in between there, right? You can Mm -hmm. be doing other, you can engage in other intimate activities with each other, other sexual activities other than intercourse that involve a lot of modesty still while you're working, right? Like there's a lot of different ways that you can do this. And so there's, there doesn't have to be a rush It doesn't have to make you uncomfortable. You can start something and stop. You can communicate throughout the process. You can decide that that did not work for me. I don't want to do it again, right? There's all sorts of things that you can do. Um, And then there, you know, if there's, you know, different coaches and things you want to hire as well, but the focus really is let me heal, let you heal, then let's heal together, right? And so you're going to be working through your own beliefs, insecurities, fears, blocks through this process. And he should be too. And, and it's going to be in some instances with some couples, it's a scary thing because, you know, you also have not to throw another log on the fire, but a lot of times you have like religious trauma around sex or you have purity mm-hmm. culture in the background, right? There's just, and then you have this pain that just happened where sex was used in a really painful way, right? So it can be a really scary thing. And so not pressuring yourself and communicating a lot about it and doing what works for you and not feeling bad if it's not a fast thing. Yeah. This is, this is kind of like slightly off topic, but I think even just the idea of communicating around intimacy is so important because, oh my gosh, women and and men are now really taught. You're not taught in sex ed, like how to communicate intimacy Mm -hmm. during intimate Mm -hmm. situations. And there's many, many women out there who, and men who just like, don't know each other's bodies truly, or like, don't know what's going on. And you're just kind of going off of like, oh, well, this is what I saw in a movie and like, oh, this is what I saw in porn, right? Yeah. And well, and not to throw men completely under the bus, but I'm going to a little bit. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> and that is that um, pornography is an intimacy disorder, essentially. Sex addiction is an intimacy disorder and pornography teaches you the opposite of what is required for actual intimacy with a partner. And so when you have men that are learning about sexuality and intimacy and communication through pornography, they are actually sex illiterate. 
Mm-hmm. And they, I mean, they really don't understand a, a lot about sexuality and communication. And, and like I said, sex addiction is itself an intimacy disorder. And so it's processing all of those fears and insecurities and communication, like you said, is going to be throughout the process of recovery in general, not just through um, rebuilding trust and intimacy, but like all of it is going to be key. And, you know, I think about that. I think about, um, if you are married to someone and you don't feel like you can have conversations with them, why are you married to this person? I'm not saying it's not going to be awkward. I'm not saying it's not going to be hard, but like this is somebody that you're choosing to share your body and your life and your home and your money and your, Mm -hmm. right? So like, let's share thoughts. (laughs) Let's share feelings, right? Because that's only going to improve how you're able to interact with each other. And it's only going to improve, you know, how you understand them and, and are able to talk to them and work through things as opposed to just being two people that live in the same house and kind of do some stuff together, you know? Yeah. Such a good point. I was just watching actually very rarely ever watch TV, but I happened to turn on, it's like some Netflix show by Ramit, uh, whatever his name is. He's, he's like the big financial guy And he goes, he has a podcast too, and he goes in and he teaches people how to become rich or like how to manage their finances. And pretty much every couple on the show and also every couple on his podcast that he'll interview and help them with their finances, they like have never talked to each other about finances or like don't know, don't have a shared goal of like, what do our finances look like? What are we trying to do here as a, and they're all married. And it's like, whoa, why are these topics so taboo? Like, why aren't we talking about sex and money and like these things? All the things that cause divorce and cause argument. Yes, you need to know that before you get in. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. I hope somebody in this podcast, like this encourages them to start having some harder conversations, but really then they wind up not being as hard after because you're like, whoa, I have a weight lifted off of my shoulder. Now we know each other better. Things actually get easier versus harder. So it's just taking that first that first step of just like doing the thing. Oh my gosh, it so is. Because I mean, think about the fact that I'm on a podcast right now saying my husband was a cyber sex addict. <laughs> <laughs> that was not easy the first 20 times I said that. I bet. That's yeah. not something, you know, when I sat in that room and he was disclosing information to me, words like masturbation and pornography, and they made me blush, they made me uncomfortable. I did not like it. A lot of it made me want to vomit, especially learning what I was learning and his engagement with it. Right. Mm-hmm. And now I'm on a podcast, you know, not even really flinching saying, Hey, everybody needs to talk about these things. This is really important. And that's something we, uh, he and I had talked about too. It'd be like, I, I think it'd be so great if in, you know, a lot of people go through pre premarital counseling is, um, you get a little surprised with it one day where, uh, you say, Hey, swap phones, look at your browser history give each other your passwords, because if you can't trust each other, you shouldn't be getting into this relationship. Mm -hmm. This is a lifelong commitment. You need to know who you're committed to. Mm -hmm. Well, gosh, we could probably talk all day to each (laughs) other. (laughs) This has been really fun. I want to do a quick five question speed round. Ooh. All right. Let's do it. See how fast I can go. Okay. Don't stress too much about the speed, but (laughs) (laughs) what's one supplement you could not live without? Oh, only one. <laughs> oh, that's a hard one, Rachel. You picked somebody that probably takes too many. Um, I'm the same way. Do okay. you want to pick two supplements? <laughs> yes, thank you. Okay, so the only reason I say this is because um, 
The only reason I say this is because I recently started taking one that actually I do really actually feel like has helped my energy. And actually both of the ones that I'm thinking about have to do with energy because that's the number one thing that I have always like my whole life struggled with. Okay. Um, so one is, is Bulletproof Forbose, F-O-R-B-O-S-E. So that one really, um, I, I really like taking that. And this is terrible, but I'm going to forget the name of the other one. What is it's for- a life Forbos? Okay, so it's a uh, it actually helps with um, uh, creation of ATP. In- okay, it's like a mitochondrial. It's a mitochondrial support. Kind of- yeah, okay. it, and it and I actually really do. The recommendation is that you take it like before or after a workout. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're a trauma baby and you're stressed out a lot and. <laughs> you struggle with fatigue like me. Um, you know, it's one of, it's actually one of the supplements that I learned from, uh, Dr. Amy's biology of trauma course. And so, um, I started taking it then and I definitely noticed that I think it is helpful. And so, uh, yeah, I love, love, love that one. Okay. I'm trying to remember the name of the other ones. The only reason I'm mentioning this is because I, again, I started taking it fairly recently and did, uh, really seem to notice that it, overall in general in my life improves my energy more consistently. So it's pro tandem, P-R-O-T-A-N-D-I-M. And they have a nerf one and nerf two that go together. And it's also supportive of energy production in the body. And actually, I think the way to describe it, I'm not as familiar with this because again, I don't um I haven't been using it for a long period of time. And it's it's not something I've worked with with my uh clients in the past or anything. Um, but I believe what it's doing is kind of like uh, cell health and um, probably like high uh, antioxidant support and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so kind of whatever area in your body is going to like need the support, you know? And so of course for me, it's energy. <laughs> so <laughs> I do like those two. So that's my answer to that question. Okay. Awesome. What is your favorite biohacking tool? To optimize your health. Oh, again, just one. My favorite. Ah, geez, this is hard. Oh, your I'm, favorite too. I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to change all, all right. the questions to two. I know. Yeah. Well, you're working with another FDN. You know, we <laughs> we have all the biohacking fun. Um, all right. I love my infrared sauna. I got to mm-hmm. say, I love my infrared sauna. Love it, love it, love it. It's just the coolest thing. And then if I'm allowed to pick two, I've really worked on hacking my sleep. So all those, you know, making the, making the uh, house cold at night, like 68 degrees at night is my favorite thing in the world. I love it. So many of us experience anxiety and stress. And to be honest, I'm, I've always been one of those people who tends more towards anxiety. So I've always looked for hacks like breathing techniques and the foods I should eat to optimize my body, to reduce anxiety. But one thing that's super important is getting quality sleep to lower our stress levels, lower our anxiety. But what can happen is when we try to go to sleep, that will flare up again and then we're anxious and we have a hard time falling asleep, our mind is racing, and it kind of becomes this cycle and we have insomnia. So if you can relate to this in any way, this is important for you to listen to. This might really help you out. Because if you're not sleeping, again, you're not really healing from anything. You're not going to be as energized and healthy the next day. And a lack of sleep is going to cause weight gain, fatigue, cognitive issues, hormone imbalances, and so on. So there's this company called Baloo. 
and they have 100% cotton, chemical-free weighted blankets. And these blankets, seriously, they feel like a firm hug when you put them on. And what this does is this soothes your nervous system and will alleviate any stress and anxiety. And when that happens, we actually increase our serotonin production, which is our happy hormone. And then our serotonin actually converts into melatonin, which signals our bodies that it's time to go to sleep. So using the Baloo weighted blankets can help you get a restful night's sleep and allow your body to do the natural healing and repair it needs during the night. And you are going to feel so much less stressed, less anxiety, and you will have such a better night's sleep when you're using this weighted blanket. And it's amazing for daytime too, if you're ever wanting to just cuddle up and take a nap or watch a movie and have this blanket on you, it feels amazing and secure. So you can find a link to their website in the show notes. Yes, I cannot deal with, I'm going to, as I was telling you before, um, the podcast started, I'm going to be traveling for a little bit and, you know, there's a lot of countries that don't have air conditioning and I, I just cannot, I'm like, nope, I'm not doing it unless there's air conditioning. Cause at night my sleep cannot yes. be disturbed. Absolutely not. Yes. A hundred percent. Okay. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? <laughs> oh, you know, that's so funny. Cause I just changed this recently and I'm trying to remember what that was. Cause for most of my life, I always thought that it would be kind of to be like a fly on the wall or to be invisible. Cause I want to like overhear conversations. Oh, I remember what I, I think I would change it to now is modulating emotions. So like, you know, in like the twilight, um, the, the, the old one is because I'm nosy and I want to know what people are, are saying and, and thinking. Right. Um, but the new one working with trauma and all this kind of stuff, it's like, man, if you could modulate emotions and have an, in a lasting way, you know, mm -hmm. where you are able to impact somebody and say, like, you have more confidence or you feel safe yes. or, you know, that would be so cool. That would be incredible. I would love that. Right. Okay. Yeah. Like I'm just um, going to whoosh you with some self-confidence. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then hopefully you can, you can use the superpower on yourself as well. Exactly. Yeah. I would love that. Okay. This one is sometimes challenging for people. What's the best purchase you made in the last year that cost you under a hundred dollars? Okay. Under a hundred dollars. You, you know that, um, probably supplements, you know, those mm -hmm. are, I, I do like my supplements. Um, however, I did just buy, my husband got me like a tote, a Michael Kors tote purse for my birthday. And that wasn't under a hundred dollars, but the insert that I just got for it to organize everything in the large tote <laughs> is, and I got that on Amazon. Okay. So there you go. Good, good. And last question, if you could leave the listeners with one tip that they could implement this week, to help them live a healthier, happier life, what would that be? Mm. You know, in, in the context of everything we've talked about today, I would say commit in whatever way is possible to moving your healing forward. So if that means investing in a coach or a practitioner or a therapist, um, doing whatever, I, I would say the one thing is to commit to that forward movement and finding the tools and resources that will be effective in helping you do that. 
Because I think that is ultimately, and, and really anyone, you don't have to be betrayed to do this, right? This is something that applies to anyone. But investing in that personal growth really is what allows us to transform our lives and become the people that we want to be. And it's not always comfortable. It's not always fun. It's not always free, but it is so worth it in the end to be able to look back and say, I struggled with this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And now I know who I am. I like who I am. I feel confident in myself and my choices. And, and you know, in betrayal in particular, this is something I talk a lot about with be, uh, betrayed partners or I'll mention it is we want to get you to the point where you are so confident that you are choosing to be in this relationship. And you know that if anything happens, you can always choose to be out of the relationship and know that you are going to be 100% okay. And that's, that's what the healing journey gives you is getting to that place where you feel safe and confident and, um, and, and just good and balanced. Mm -hmm. Such a good tip. Well, we are unfortunately out of time. So do you want to share links like Instagram website, anywhere people can find you? Yeah. The two, um, the two easiest places are Instagram and TikTok. So they're both at Kylene Terhune. There's a link tree in the, in the profile of both of those. So you can connect to my free Facebook page, recover you. Um, I have a podcast by the same name. So any of those places. Um, but if you're wanting to message me or connect with me, Instagram, TikTok, those are pretty easy. Okay. Awesome. We'll, we'll put those in the notes. Thank you so much for being on the show, Kylene. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Rachel. I really appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to the natural health rising podcast. I hope you found this episode informative and left you feeling empowered to take control of your health naturally. As a reminder, the information provided in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any illness or medical condition. Please consult with a qualified healthcare professional before making any changes to your diet, exercise routine, supplements, or medical treatment. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Comments and ratings help the show reach more people so that they too can level up their health and entire life holistically. I really appreciate your support and feedback. Before I go, I want to remind you that I work with clients virtually all over the world. So if you are searching for a functional medicine provider to help you uncover the root cause of your health issues and have support and guidance in healing your body through nutrition and lifestyle changes, then you can book a free health consultation with me by using the link in the show notes and we can talk about working together. Thanks for listening and keep striving to become your healthiest, happiest self.